Now, that passage that we just read together is uh, quite a famous one, and I think an extremely helpful one. Uh, You and I, we've got many needs. Uh, We are conscious of many things that we desire, and we live our lives pursuing those needs. And one of the biggest needs we have is to be accepted. Uh, we, we do need that, don't we? We want to be affirmed. Uh, we want to belong and to feel that we are part and we have a place. It's a deep, deep human need. And that, that's what I want to think about with you this morning. And then tonight, I want to return to the subject and to, to think about the freedom that comes when we know just how accepted we are. Now, uh, so that's the the subject I want to to speak about, the need to belong, the desire to be accepted. Now, the first thing to point out is that that is just about everywhere. It doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you are in the world. That need, that desire to be accepted and to belong is, is very real. Um, it's here in this passage. Uh, Nathaniel read the story to us. Uh, it's a story of two men who are going to the temple, two different types of men, one very religious, the Pharisee, uh, one very irreligious, the tax collector, one that people would think was uh, okay with God and, and one that people would think was definitely not okay with God. Why are they going to the temple? Why are they coming to pray? What's, what's the motive? Well, it's because they want God to accept them. Now, it's not called being accepted in the story. In the story, it's called being justified. But it's the same idea. You know, justified is the Bible's word for, for God accepting us. So, in this story, we've got two men, and they're going to the temple, and uh, they're praying to God. Uh, why are they doing that? Well, because they want to be accepted. They want to be justified. Uh, they want to know that they belong. Uh, they want some affirmation. So there in the Bible, you've got an example of people who want to belong. But, it, but it's not just there. Uh, it's, it's everywhere. So think, uh, think. Think for a minute of uh, famous people. He's been dead a while now, but uh, many of us would remember Ray Gravel, a big rugby player in the 70s into the 80s, British Lion, Sanessi, played in the centre, very gifted, glittering career, a very confident person, uh, became an actor when he retired from from the rugby field, a pundit on the TV, you were a guy who just exuded confidence and self-assurance. And yet when he died, I remember reading uh, articles about him, and one of the things people said was that actually he was a very insecure person and that he'd play on Saturday and, uh, you know, do great things, but come Monday morning when he was with his mates, he'd be saying, I did okay, didn't I? He'd be looking for reassurance. He'd be looking for people to, to, to encourage him, to validate him, to say, yeah, you did well, Ray. It was great what you did then. He, he'd be looking for that. Now, that's just like these men 
in the, in the, in the parable. And they're looking for affirmation. They're looking to be accepted. And, and there's Ray Gravel, you know, a great hero of many. And yet, the same need to be accepted, to be welcomed. Or, if you're not into the rugby, uh, came across this a few years ago. Uh, the actress, Bond girl from the 60s, Honor Blackman. Now, she was known as one of the most beautiful, one of the most stunning actresses uh, in the world. And yet, I read a, an article from her uh, a few years ago where she talked about how she struggled to feel beautiful. Everybody thought she was beautiful. She made a career out of being beautiful. And yet, she reveals that she was insecure about her looks and she struggled to feel beautiful. Uh, and she gave an interview and in that interview she, she talked about her childhood and she said uh, when she was young, he says, my mother made sure I kept my feet on the ground. Um, I suppose that was the way back in those days. And she, she reminisced, she said, I remember once as a 17-year-old, I was all dolled up to go out and I asked my mother, do I look all right? She's looking for some uh, assurance, some... some uh, uh, some affirmation, and her mother said, well, you'll pass in a crowd. And the, in the interview, she said, it really hurts. Now, there's an example, again, of the same sort of thing, of, of somebody who's outwardly seems to have it all, and yet, even though they're so uh, high-achieving and seem to meet the ideals, they're still struggling. And they're still feeling very, very insecure. So there it is in the Bible. These two men wanting to come to God so they would be justified, so they'd be accepted. There's you know, a great rugby player, a great achievement, still feeling the same. There's a beautiful woman, a famous beautiful woman, still feeling the same. It's everywhere. This need to be affirmed, this need to be accepted, this need to belong. So there's the first thing, it's everywhere. Second thing I want to say is that this need then obviously goes really, really deep. Now how deep is the question? Uh, maybe people say, oh, it goes back to your childhood, you know, on a blackman here talking about her mother uh, putting her down. They would say, that's the problem. You didn't have enough affirmation as a child. And, uh, well, nobody's going to argue with the importance of affirming our children and doing it more than we do. Or someone else say, well, it's, it's just the, the makeup of a person. We're really insecure. It's our DNA or our psychology. It's, it's, just, it's just part of some people's personality, but not others. Well, okay. Uh, I think that's, there's elements of truth in that. But I want to argue that actually this is something that's so universal, uh, it must be something that goes to the deepest possible level. And actually, you, you turn to the start of the Bible, you turn to the, to the book of Genesis, and I want to show you that you, you find this, this need for affirmation, you find it even there. 
Now, you start at the beginning of the Bible, and it begins with God creating the world out of nothing. And in six days, he brings everything into being through the power of his words. And the seventh day, then, he rests and he blesses the creation that he has made, including us as human beings. But as you follow the story, there's one bit, one statement that keeps getting repeated. You find it in chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 4, and verse 10, and verse 12, and verse 18, and verse 21, and verse 25, and verse 28, and verse 31. And you find it over in chapter 2, in verse 3. This is obviously an important part of the story, isn't it? There's a repeated phrase. And so you find that every time God makes something, every time God does something, this phrase comes up. And I'll tell you what the phrase is. And whenever God does something, he says about it, it is good. Keeps happening all the way through the story. Uh, he makes something, it is good. He makes something else, it is good. Now, do you see the significance of that? Because what that means is right through the very creation of the world, including the creation of human beings, God is constantly giving a verdict. He's constantly affirming what he's made. He's constantly approving. He's constantly accepting. He's constantly validating what he's made. Now, what I'm going to suggest then is that that's the explanation for our needs of acceptance and our needs of, of someone to approve us. It's not just about how you were brought up. It's not just about your DNA or your psychology. No, it's part of what it means to be a human being. Your human beings are made to look for and to need affirmation from God. We are made to, to, to look for that and to be incomplete without it. We're all looking for God to say to us, it is good. We're all looking for, for God to approve us. So to go back to Honor Blackman, uh, she told that story about her mother and how it still upset her. And then she said this, all these years later, it still rankles. You know, that her mother had put her down a bit. Um, she was 86 when she gave the interview. She was 17 when her mother made the comment. All these years, she says, it still rankles. Uh, and then she said, isn't that pathetic? And I, I want to say to her, uh, no, Honor, it's not pathetic. It's human. It's part of the way that we're wired. It's a deep need that every single one of us has. Okay, now we're talking about ourselves. We're talking about the need we have to be approved and accepted. And I'm saying it's everywhere. You're not strange if you find that you want people to approve you and accept you. That's completely normal. Uh, it's a deep human need. Now, the third thing I want to say is that it's very elusive. Isn't it hard to find the affirmation that we crave? Isn't it hard to feel like you're accepted? Isn't it hard to, to really belong? Don't we spend a lot of time worrying because we don't feel we belong and worrying because we don't feel approved and we're not at peace? 
uh, because we don't feel embraced, we don't feel like we're accepted. It's very, very elusive, this peace that would come. And we're all looking for it. We all know it's there. And yet it's so hard to find. So let's think about that thirdly, how elusive this is. Now, I've got a few things to say here. Uh, the first one, uh, the point I want to make, the first point is that actually this is elusive because another person can't give this to you. Now that's what we instantly think, isn't it? That, okay, I need, I need to be accepted, I need approval, I need uh, a good verdict on my life, so I have to find people who will affirm me. And I have to find people that will appreciate me. I have to find people that will accept me. And you're right, we do need to find people who approve us and accept us. And we do need to belong. Uh, and it's nice when it happens, isn't it? Nothing better than when uh, you come to a church, maybe, if it's a new thing, and, and you feel just embraced and accepted and welcomed. You know, and, and maybe you worry about coming anywhere new, but you go there and you feel at home and you think, well, what was I worrying about? That was nice. I, I felt like I belonged. I felt like they accepted me. So, so we look for that. We look for other people. And we, we want uh, people in our lives who will embrace us. But important as that is, and as nice as that is when it happens, I think it's also true to say that it's never really enough to truly set our hearts at rest. It's enough for a while, but it's never a permanent peace. It, it, other people's opinions, they, 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 the approval we get from them, it just doesn't seem to go deep enough. It just doesn't seem to heal us quite enough. And so we always need more. So somebody approves us and they say, well done, and we, we, we're glad of that. And then the next day, the, somehow the effect is gone and we're insecure again and we, we need somebody else to say the same thing. And uh, I came across a, an interview the other day with an actor. Um, I'd never heard of him. I'd heard of his dad, so that tells you about the fact I'm aging, um, but I'd never heard of him. So his dad is Timothy Spall who uh, was on TV loads in the 80s and the 90s. His son is Rafe Spall, and uh, he's a big actor too. So he's been in films like The Big Short and The Life of Pi, and uh, he's famous on stage especially. So I don't know anything about the theatre, but apparently he's really, really famous, and he did this amazing one-man show that had rave reviews. So this is a guy who's a successful actor, right? He's made it. So he's been on screen with Daniel Craig. And in the interview, he talks about a party where he was dancing with Madonna. You know, this is a guy who's arrived. He's one of the, the jet set, as we'd say. But in the interview, he's talking about how that hasn't satisfied his heart, how he still feels insecure. And it was ever so revealing. Uh, listen to him. He's talking about his big stage play. And he says... We got the reviews I've always dreamed of. So he did this big one-man show and everybody loved it. All the critics, all the people. So I got the reviews I've always dreamed of. Then he says, but it didn't make me feel any better as a human being. Isn't that interesting? 
And then he went on and he did a bit of uh, philosophizing that I think is quite helpful for us. He talks about all of us. He says, we spend our lives going. If I just achieve that amount of success or status or financial security, or if I could just lose 10 pounds, then I'd feel okay. And what he's saying is, I've, I've learned that that's rubbish. And so he says, quoting him again, no amount of adulation is going to be enough. No amount of success will ever make you feel good. Not permanently, not deeply. See, it's elusive, this. And the world tells us, if only you were rich, if only you were successful, if only you were beautiful, if only you were thinner, if only you were whatever, then life would be okay. But we're being told here, by people who've arrived and who've got there. No, 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 no. It's not enough. You, you, you can't get this from other people. Then there's another thing I want to say about how elusive this is. Uh, you cannot give it to yourself. Now, that's the thing we try next, isn't it? Okay, other people are not giving me enough. Well, forget them. I, I'll give it to myself. Now, in this story, we've got this Pharisee. And actually, that's what the Pharisee is trying to do. Uh, so he's come to the temple, and uh, he's come to pray. Uh, but actually, as he prays, and, and the text says this in verse 11, he's, he's praying with himself. Uh, and as he prays, what he prays about is himself. And all he does is stand up there very publicly and prays very loudly so everyone can hear him. And he says, I thank you that I'm not like other people. And then he, he, he says who these other people are, the robbers and the evildoers and the adulterers and especially like this tax collector. And then, then he starts to give the list of his great achievements. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Now, the thing to understand there, I mean, that doesn't mean much to us, does it? But the thing to understand there was that was the, those were the markers of a, a super holy person, right? To fast twice a week, to give a tenth of everything you possess. That was, that was a big deal. But, but what this Pharisee is doing is, is trying to convince himself. He's praying to himself. He's talking about the great things he can do. Who's he, who's he trying to impress? Well, maybe he thinks he's impressing God. But I think what he's doing there is trying to convince himself that he's a great person. Uh, and that's the other thing we try then. Uh, other people aren't approving me enough, so I'm going to approve myself. And that's a really big thing in our culture. In fact, that's our culture's great solution. And never mind what anybody else thinks. You must approve yourself. You must love yourself. You must affirm yourself. And uh, so... I googled celebrity quotes about self-affirmation and the computer nearly blew up there were so many um, but I picked this one Beyonce I don't know if I'm giving anything away by the fact that I picked Beyonce um, but this is what she said your self-worth is determined by you you don't have to depend on someone telling you who you are now that's it that's what this this uh, Pharisee is actually doing. He's trying to convince himself about his own self-worth, convince himself that he's approved, that he's good enough, that he's uh, a, a solid guy and can be at peace. And, and, and that's what our culture is saying to us all the time. 
Uh, don't depend on anybody else. You love yourself. You approve yourself. Now, there's elements of truth in that, aren't there? You shouldn't hate yourself. Uh, I'm not here to say um, that that's a good thing or a healthy thing. But although it really sounds good, we all know it doesn't work like that, don't we? We all know that our most difficult relationship actually is usually with ourselves. We all know that in here there's all sorts of problems and all sorts of difficulties. um, All sorts of struggles. We all know there's an inner critic uh, that rubbishes us pretty much constantly. And so if you just empower that, if you say, well, I'm going to affirm myself, what actually happens is it's even harder to get any peace because what's bubbling up from inside is so often you're a rubbish person, you're no good. That's not a voice you want to listen to. That's not a voice you want to empower. So getting this affirmation is really, really elusive. Other people seem strangely reluctant to give it to me. And when they do give it, it's never enough. So I'll go and try and get it out of my own heart. And yet I find there even more criticism and even more trouble. It's elusive, this. Now, that leads me to the next thing I want to say. still about how elusive this is. Because what I want to build up to here, and uh, we're coming now to the climax, the message of what I want to give today. uh, And that is... Really, only one verdict will do. You know, we're not getting the verdict from other people. It's never enough. We can't give it to ourselves. Why is that? Well, it's, it's because actually we are designed to only really receive and accept one verdict. And that is the verdict of God. So you and I, we will always be restless. We will always be insecure. We will always be fearful. We will never be at peace until we can get back to that Genesis 1 experience. Until we can get back to the point where it is God himself looking at our lives and saying, it is good. It is good. It is good. That is the only thing in the wide, wide world that will give us true peace. When Almighty God speaks into our lives and says, I accept you. I embrace you. That's the only thing. And, and we, we sort of know this instinctively. You know, when, when a friend says something nice about us, it's, it's good, isn't it? And a friend affirms us and we're happy. If the boss at work does it, well, that's even better, isn't it? <laughs> And if some super powerful, famous person like the Prime Minister, if they singled us out and affirmed us, that would be even more powerful. Now, what's it going to be like? What would happen if Almighty God looked at your life, having understood everything there is to know about it, and said, I affirm you, and said, I accept you, and said, you're mine. What would that be like? That would, that would be massive. You know, when God says it is good, you know, that's the end of all arguments. You know, there's no higher court than God, is there? If God says you're okay, if God says I accept you, if God says you belong to me, then, then you're, you're okay. You can be at peace. 
You've got something solid to stand on. You've got something real to hold on to. And the point that I want to come to this morning is to say that actually the whole message of the Bible, the gospel message, is that God is ready to give that kind of acceptance. It's the business that he's in. God is the God who embraces people. God is the God who affirms people. God is the God who accepts people. And, and, and the gospel message is coming into this world of insecurity and this world of anxiety and this world of, of, of searching but never finding this elusive acceptance and belonging and affirmation. And the gospel message comes in and it's saying to us that God himself is standing in the middle of our lives, in the middle of our communities, and he is, he is offering this kind of acceptance. He's offering this kind of embrace. He's offering this kind of affirmation. Uh, there are a million verses you could go to. Uh, one of the clearest is Romans chapter 5, verse 1, where Paul says, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he's talking there about being justified, being accepted. And he's saying it's possible. That God is the God who embraces and accepts. Okay. Have you got the energy for one more? Kids, can you cope with one more point? It's coming anyway, so I don't know why I asked. Um, so we're talking about this desire to belong, right? And uh, we're saying it's everywhere. We're saying it's deep, but we're saying it's elusive, and that's our problem. But there's one place, one verdict that will end the search, that will give us a peace uh, that is truly transforming. Now, the final point, the fourth thing I want to say, is that this is totally available. It's available. So let me finish by, by asking, well, how do I get it? How do I come to the point where God is looking at my life and saying, it is good. How do I get to the point where God is embracing me, uh, where I know that he affirms me, that I'm his child? How do I get to that point? Well, it's modeled in this story, and so let's try and, uh, and put it out there and see what we've got. Now, the first thing to say is really rather wonderful, and it's a big relief. Um, and, and the first thing to say is this. This doesn't happen... Uh, through us being good enough. Now that is a really important thing to understand because we've got an instinct that says, well, that is how it happens. Uh, it's what this Pharisee believes. That's why in verse 11, he's talking about that he's better than other people and he's talking about the fact that he's a really religious person. But the punchline of the parable is that that man is not accepted. Do you feel the shock of that? I tell you, when Jesus told this story, people would have, like, fallen off their chairs. It was so outrageous. Everybody knew that the Pharisees were the best of the best of the best. You know, they were super serious about their religion. They were absolutely punctilious, if that's a word. They were, 
watching out for every detail of their lives. They were utterly committed to God and to obeying God. And so here comes the Pharisee. And when he says, I'm not like other people, he's right. He wasn't a robber. He wasn't an evildoer. He wasn't an adulterer. He was an honest man. He was uh, a good man. You'd have loved to have him as a neighbor. He was faithful to his wife. Uh, and, and he's true that he did fast twice a week. He did more than God asked of him. He did give a tenth of all he got. So here's the person that is, you know, if anybody's going to be right with God, it's going to be this guy. If anybody's going to be accepted by God, it's going to be this guy. And yet the punchline is that this man was not accepted. Now, this is a message that needs to be communicated by the Christian church much more vigorously than it is. Because people think this is our message. People think that we're saying, you've got to get right with God, so be a better person. Try harder. Believe the right stuff. And what this parable is saying, and we could have gone to a thousand different passages in the Bible, uh, what this parable is saying is that doesn't work. If you think God will accept you because you're a good person, because you're a religious person, and because you're better than somebody else, you are not accepted. Did you get that? Nobody fell off the chair, but, but I'm hoping you got it. So if it's not about being good enough, what is it about? Well, this is the other character in the story. You want to be accepted by God, then you have to humble yourself. And you have to come empty-handed. And you have to come telling God that he should throw you away. You have to come telling God you're not good enough. You have to come opening up to God about your sins. You have to come opening up to God about what you've done in life. Now, this is what's being modeled by the, the tax collector. Now, the tax collector was not a good person. Nathaniel said he was a, a traitor to his people. So, so at this time, um, the Romans were in charge. They'd invaded. They'd been in charge for a long time. And uh, the Jews were an occupied nation. And the tax collectors were collecting tax for the Romans. So it would have been like working for the Nazis in World War II. That's what this guy was doing. He was, he was working for the enemy. He was exploiting his own people uh, for the sake of the occupying forces. And not only that, but they were uh, famous for their corruption and famous for their bully boy tactics. They were gangsters. Uh, they were uh, compromised. They were wicked, wicked people. And uh, that, everybody knew that. So what's happening here, though? Well, what's happening here is at some point, this tax collector has realized how he's been living his life. He's realized he's not a good person. And so as he comes to God now, he's been convicted of his sin. And he's coming to God and he's not saying, um, I'll, I'm a good person really, because he knows he's not. And he knows God knows he's not. So he's coming to God and all he's saying is, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Please forgive me. He's confessing all the stuff that most of us try to hide. He's confessing it, not just to other people, but he's confessing it to God. And he's simply casting himself 
on God's mercy. Now, uh, that is the message of this parable. You want to be right with God, and believe me, every single one of us wants to be right with God. That's not going to happen through being a, a religious person, uh, being a good person. Don't be tempted to start praying to God like this man, the Pharisee, and telling God that you're pretty good really, and you're much better than these other people. Don't be tempted to do that. Don't go the way of the Pharisee, because that will leave you on the outside. It will leave you excluded. You've got to go the way of the tax collector. You've got to go the way of brokenness and humility, the way of repentance. That's the words. And the punchline of the parable is it's that person that is embraced by God. It's that person that is justified by God, that is accepted by God. And so there's the punchline in verse 14. Jesus says, I tell you that this man the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee. I tell you that this man went home justified before God. So you come to church today. Not, there'll be all sorts of different motives while we're here, uh, why we've come. Uh, but maybe you've come saying, yeah, I do want to be right with God. Well, it's possible to come to church and uh, do the same as everybody else and not be right with God. And to go home, exclude it, uh, just as you came in. Uh, how do you avoid that? Well, as you come, it's not just about coming and taking part and, and being sincere. Now you've got to begin to, to open up to God. You've got to begin to tell him uh, about your questions and your struggles and your failings and your sins, uh, your prejudices, your hatreds. You've got to start asking him to show you more of it. You've got to have a sense that it's only by the grace of God that you can be forgiven. But you know, the, the flip side of this is that the invitation on the table today is that the moment somebody comes like that, the moment that somebody appeals for mercy, the moment somebody does that, God embraces them forever. There's acceptance there forever. That's the great gospel message. So, so somebody could have come in today, or anybody could come in. Uh, it doesn't matter who they are, what they've done. They could come in. They could hear this about God and our need for God. They could, they could be convicted. Uh, yes, I, I'm a sinner. And if they began to confess then and cried out to God like this man, be merciful to me, a, a sinner, called upon the name of Jesus... The response from God would be instant. And he would speak into their lives, it is good. And he would embrace them. And, and so from that would come a, a peace. Now tonight we're going to talk about uh, the freedom having that peace brings and the difference it makes in your life if you're not tied to other people's opinions or you're not tied to your own opinion. You know, the tremendous freedom that gives. But that's tonight. And let me finish this morning by just pointing you to, to Jesus Christ. He's the one who's telling the story. And you know, that is how this works. You see, Jesus is the one person who was justified because of his performance. He was tempted like we are, yet he was without sin. So Jesus is the one human being because he's the eternal son of God, 
uh, made flesh. He's the one person who has earned acceptance from the Father, who has uh, a right to, to be with God, who has a total uh, sense of ownership over heaven. He's the one person who has earned it all. But what we, the Bible is saying is that if you connect to him, you will share in all that he's achieved. So, you know, becoming a Christian is like getting married, really. You know, Meghan Markle hasn't gone so well recently, but married into the royal family. So this worked better a few years ago, this story. Meghan Markle, she, she married into the royal family. Now she was a successful, wealthy person already. Famous person already. She marries Prince... Which one did she marry? She marries the Prince. Harry, someone said. Okay. She marries Prince Harry. And what happens? Well, she immediately is given the status of royalty. You, know, you and I, if you want to go and drop into Buckingham Palace, it's not happening. You know, if you go up and you'd say, well, I'd, li I'd like to see the Queen, it's not happening. You, you don't have the rights. You don't have the status. But you marry pr a prince, you marry into royalty, and, and all of those resources and all of that status becomes yours. Um, you're part of the family. You're sharing the status. You've got access to the property and to the resources and to the, the head of state. Now that's what it is to become a Christian. We, we connect up to Jesus Christ and we, 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 we transfer our trust to him. And so we then begin to share in his great achievements, his status, his relationship to God. We have access to heaven. Uh, we have his righteousness. We are washed clean in his blood. And it's a wonderful possibility. I don't know how long you've been, it is since you've been to a wedding. But you know, as those vows are given, and those promises are made, they say things like this, all that I have, I give to you. And that's what Jesus says when somebody comes to faith in him. He says, all that I have, I give to you. Uh, and whatever comes, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness or in health, he says, all that I have, all that I am, I give to you. That's the offer on the table today. And you accept that offer through faith in Jesus Christ by committing to him and entrusting yourself to him. Uh, you, you engage like that and you become as acceptable to God the Father as the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You become as welcome in God's presence as the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Is Jesus Christ going to heaven? So are you. Was Jesus Christ raised from the dead? So will you be. You know, everything that's his becomes ours. It's an amazing thing. And it's for really bad people. They need it. And it's for really good people because they need him just as much.